and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. All right, everyone. So I am really excited about our guest today. I am going to be introducing you guys to Dr. David Feinstein, and he is a clinical psychologist. He has served on the faculties of the John Hopkins University School of Medicine. He's contributed more than 80 articles to the professional literature, and five of his eight books have won national awards. And he is going to be talking to us today about energy psychology. If you guys have... uh, tuned in and listened to the Bruce Lipton episode that we did, episode 150. Bruce Lipton talked a lot about epigenetics, but when I asked him, okay, all this information is great, but how do we begin to change some of this programming? Bruce Lipton had said, energy psychology. So I am bringing on our expert here, uh, Dr. David Feinstein, to educate us more about energy psychology. So David, welcome. Thank you, April. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yes. And so you are kind of um, a couple of degrees separated from me through one of my mentors, Susan Shanley in Saratoga Springs. And uh, she is a person that worked with me when I was in my early 20s. And she was one of the first students of uh, Donna Eden, who happens to be your wife, and the two of you direct InnerSource together. And, um, and she was the first person that taught me about tapping techniques, energy psychology, and the works of your wife, Donna Eden. And she was able to help me pull through some trauma that I experienced early on in childhood. And then I later became trained in it myself and offer it to my clients in my mental health practice. So I thank you very much uh, for the work that you've done because it helped to train somebody that I worked with, which then helped uh, me heal a large portion of my life. So, uh, this subject is very dear to me to talk about today. Great. Yeah. So can we um, explain to the audience what exactly is energy psychology and how does it work? Energy psychology is based on the notion that it's not just in the neurons of the brain that memories are stored, that patterns that, that emotional patterns are maintained, but it's also at another layer, another dimension, and that is the dimension of the subtle energies that really animate the body, animate the brain. And these energies are not um, so recognized in conventional science because we don't know how to detect them and measure them, although that's starting to change. But they have been around for thousands of years in techniques like acupuncture and in yoga and in tai chi and in qigong so they they're not new to humanity and in fact their their use is so powerful in shifting people emotionally psychologically and spiritually that they have maintained in many ways unchanged for thousands of years they're still used by millions and millions of people throughout the world and in the West, uh, they've, they've certainly been of interest, but they have, in the last um, couple of decades, been much more recognized and much more uh, utilized and 
um, so that now most people know what acupuncture is. Most people are aware that someone in their workplace is practicing yoga every day. Someone is doing meditation if they're not. And so all these, all these ancient techniques are really having a revival in Western culture. And where it impacts psychology is that there are certain acupuncture points that when you stimulate them, and when you think of acupuncture, you think of needles, but you don't need needles. You can stimulate them in a number of ways, one of which is simply to tap on the point. And when you stimulate these, some of these points, they send signals to the brain that have very specific effects. And one of those effects is that some of the points will reduce arousal in the fear centers of the brain and the centers of the brain that involve other emotions, such as jealousy or anger. And other points will stimulate parts of the brain, such as brains that are part of what's called the executive functions. And that, that those are the parts of the brain that really do planning and make choices and can manage among emotions. So you have kind of in the body a kind of keyboard that allows you to work along with the client's goals and in, in a way that's not unfamiliar to other forms of therapy where you're asking the client what's important to them and giving the history and all of that. But along with that, you're able to make very rapid targeted shifts in, in the fear response, in the anger response, where, where there's irrational fear irrational levels of anger and also to rewire um you know more, more along the line of what bruce lipton was saying to rewire the characteristic patterns that have maintained themselves since childhood that are largely in the unconscious mind so the person isn't even aware that these patterns are unusual they are just the way that they do things and uh, but some of those may be self-defeating and so that's so so you can focus on all of that yeah and that's a lot <laughs> a lot of information yeah. there now um so when we're actually tapping on these acupressure points and there are some specific points i know that uh the tapping protocol has changed a little bit from thought field therapy to emotional freedom technique uh to touch and breathe therapy i mean it seems like there's a lot of practitioners kind of fine-tuning the points in which you touch and tap but how exactly when we're touching on those acupressure points how does it know to communicate with the brain because my understanding is that it's making some uh, changes in neural pathways and also releasing some of the trauma that's being held in the amygdala is that correct yes that that's that's a very good summary of what happens but it's of course extraordinarily complex in one way let me see if i can give you a bit of a thumbnail of how it works you, <clears throat> excuse me, you tap on a point on the skin and it generates an electromagnetic signal. It's called piezoelectricity. And piezoelectricity is well known. It's a form of electricity that is created by mechanical pressure. So you tap on a point on the skin that is known to have a lot of electrical conductivity. And that's what um, 
that, that's what acupuncture points have. They're, they have less electrical resistance. So you tap on this point, it sends a signal, and depending on the point, it may be a signal that tells the brain to activate or to deactivate. They're called tonifying points. Um, and anyway, that's that's a, getting a little technical. So, so then where does that signal go? Well, the signal goes to the part of the brain that's been activated. And how is the part of that brain, of the brain activated? It's based on what the client is doing. So if the client is thinking about a time that they were 12 years old and their father was uh, criticizing them in front of all their friends and they were totally humiliated and shamed and it, it's, it was a, a pretty traumatic event. So they're thinking about that event and it turns out that when you imagine something, it sets off in the brain many of the same mechanisms and neural pathways that were were activated when the actual event happened. So you're thinking about this, and because that's those are the parts of the brain that are activated are the parts that code this memory, and you are at the same time sending a signal that deactivates the parts of the brain that are involved with humiliation and shame. So the whole memory is shifted. You still remember the event, but you don't have the same emotional baggage, the same emotional reaction to it. So when that shift is made, you are then calm as you think about it, which is surprising because you've never before been calm when you thought about that memory. And that surprise is actually an ingredient in changing neural pathways because Neural pathways are set down in part to help you survive. So whatever that, whatever that memory was and whatever your reaction to it was, that becomes set in stone more or less in, in the neural pathways. And it really doesn't change in people's lives unless there is an experience that really counters it, such as being able to remember it without having the emotional reaction. So that starts to lay down neural, new neural pathways. The brain is programmed to learn. It will learn new techniques and, or excuse me, it will learn new strategies. It will learn new ways of responding to old situations. And why is that memory important? Because now in adult life, you get into a situation, say with your boss, where your boss is giving you some constructive feedback and it sounds to you like criticism, so that entire memory comes to you. You may not remember the specific incident, but the emotional part will come to you, the, the emotional response to the criticism. So you're responding to your boss now as if your boss is your father. And that that doesn't play well in, in the real world. And it, it certainly doesn't play well in families where you're responding to your your spouse as if she or he is your mother or father. So changing those early, changing the wiring in those early memories, changing the neural pathways that keep that memory tied with the strong emotional response 
is a big step towards freeing people to respond to the people in their lives without the emotional baggage. So that's, that's the, I don't know if that was too abstract, but that's a, a rough overview of how this can happen. Yes, I think that was very helpful and kind of leads me into another question that maybe you can talk about the difference between uh, energy psychology techniques and let's say traditional psychotherapy techniques, because some clinical therapy and and talking with people can help, um, I would say with some of these symptoms, maybe if we choose trauma or PTSD might be an easy one to talk about. But what I have found in my own clinical practice is that people, when you start applying energy psychology techniques, people don't need to be in psychotherapy for 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, yet you can really use these techniques and have a handful of sessions. And these people walk out of there totally different. I mean, the trauma has been transformed, has been changed. Um, I've seen fears and phobias be released. Um, it almost seems magical in a sense, even though, you know, you gave a really grand explanation of really what's happening within the brain. And it really isn't magic per se, but it really, really works. So how can it be more effective maybe than not saying that psychotherapy isn't effective, but the difference between the two? It's really extraordinary how adding tapping can speed up the therapeutic process. Let me tell you about my first time witnessing a tapping session because I was coming in as one of the therapists that you're talking about. For 30 years, I'd had a very successful clinical practice. And I had started to hear about energy psychology and it just sounded ridiculous. I mean, tapping on the skin (laughs) in order to create psychological change. I mean, I didn't study anything like that. I, I, I taught it in the department of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins for seven years, never saw anything that resembled this. And so, you know, now it's 30 years later and I'm, um, hearing about this energy psychology and I'm invited, I was, I was actually um, in another city and I was teaching and one of the people in the class was a psychologist and they had a local psychology group, uh, a group of the local psychologists who got met once a month in somebody's home and that evening they were going to be doing a presentation on energy psychology. So. I thought, okay, I'll I'll give it a, a look because enough people are talking about this. I need to find out more about it. So I show up, and the way it worked that day was that the um, that one of the therapists had been studying thought field therapy, the original form of energy psychology, and he wanted to demonstrate it to the group what he'd been learning, and so he invited the members of the group, there were about a dozen of them, to identify a, one of their patients that wasn't responding. And um, to, to and so by arrangement, uh, one of the other therapists brought in one of his clients, a woman who had severe fear of enclosed spaces, severe fear of enclosed spaces. She really could not um, being an elevator she couldn't drive through a tunnel it was it really got in the way of her life and she wasn't making any progress in the therapy and it wasn't her first round of therapy so i um so so what they did was they put two chairs in the center of the group 
<clears throat> and the rest of us are in a circle around the two of them. And the therapist starts, and I was very comfortable with the way he began. He asked her uh, a little bit about the history of her symptoms and about attempts to treat it, and this all made sense. And then he asked her to imagine being in an enclosed space, and she um, and, and to give her a rating of zero to ten of the amount of distress it caused in her body right then, in her body and her mind. And again, I was familiar with this because I had done systematic desensitization in my practice, and I, I was you know this technique goes back 50 years to Joseph Wolpe, so I'm comfortable with all this. But then it started to get strange. <laughs> he starts to have her just repeat um, the 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 um, target symptom, which was fear of elevators right then. And so she's tapping on these points on her skin and saying fear of elevators. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is silly. This is just what difference is this going to make? It's it's like she's um, giving herself a post-hypnotic suggestion that she's afraid of elevators. This this is goes against everything in my training. Fear of elevators, fear of elevators, tap, tap, tap. <laughs> then he has her do these other things where she's, you know, circling her eyes and humming and these strange incantations. And then more tapping and more fear of elevators. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is... And, and so then after just about four minutes of this, she, he has her think about being in an elevator again, and it's gone down from a 10 to a seven. And I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe she's kind of developed some affection for this guy and she doesn't want to embarrass him in front of his colleagues. So maybe that's why it went down. Then another round and it's gone down to a five and I'm starting to think what's going on here. And then another round, and it's gone back up to a seven. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, these are just normal fluctuations. I knew it wasn't working. And then, but then he says, well, tell me what you were thinking when you rated it as a seven. And she starts talking, and she says, I had this memory of when I was about eight, and we were playing, I was playing with my two older brothers and some of their friends, and we had this big carton that appliances come in and it was all closed. It was just open on one end and one of us would get in and the others would push us and push the person. And so when it was my turn, they pushed it against a wall so that I couldn't get out. And then they all left. And so I was in there and because of my weight on the ground through the carton, I couldn't move it. And I was stuck in there and I started screaming and it was totally dark. And I don't know how long I was in there, but I was terrified. And I haven't thought of that for decades, but it just came up and she's getting really agitated. So she's now at a 10 as she's talking about it. And I'm thinking, okay, something did come out of this. Now the therapist, the, the, the treating therapist will know where to go and They'll, they'll be talking about that for probably probably a year and they can she can resolve some of her you know resentment towards her brothers for it and some of the trauma and talk through the trauma and all that and maybe it will help her with her 
fear of closed spaces. But the therapist didn't stop there. He said, okay, now we'll tap on that. And so he starts tapping on her terror. And then that eventually goes all the way down to a zero. And then he starts tapping on her resentment towards her brothers and the betrayal and gets all of those down to a zero. And I'm just watching this in kind of amazement. And then the then they return back to the elevator and it's now back down to a five. But very quickly, you can do a lot of rounds of tapping because it only takes one to four minutes to do a round of tapping. So, so, so they get that down to a zero and I'm wondering, okay, well, will that really translate into elevators and closed spaces? But psychologists like to test things and there's a, we're in somebody's home and there's a coat closet. So, um, we get the idea of having her step into the coat closet. And so the therapist is very sensitive towards not re-traumatizing her and just asks her if she's okay with testing it that way and um, says, okay, I'm going to close the door. But um, as soon as you have any fear, just open the door and you're totally in control of this. We're not trying to prove anything to anyone, just, um, just trying to see what your inner response is. And so she gets in the closet, they close the door, and then there's, you know, these dozen psychologists hovering around this closet door waiting. And it was a long time, like maybe five minutes. And finally, the therapist <clears throat> knocks on the door and says, are you okay? And she opens the door and she's just elated. She has no fear. And, um, and, and everybody else is impressed. But then I... I see what this is about. I realize, uh, okay, I get it. This is a social psychology experiment trying to find out how gullible psychotherapists can be. But it wasn't. It was the real deal. And what I found out is that with simple phobias and um, many symptoms that, as you said, April, in one session or two or three or four sessions, you can accomplish what you might have expected to take far longer in <clears throat> conventional psychotherapy. And, um, and, and that's what I found is I, you know, I was impressed enough that I got into training in this and it has, um, has really shaped the way I approach clinical psychology. Yeah, um, I've had experiences like that with clients myself. And, you know, in that same process of like what you talked about, I've also seen clients where we're kind of tapping on maybe one specific fear or phobia or trauma. And there almost seems to be like a wave of that releasing, but then some of the other stuff or older stuff will come up. And then the tapping kind of continues with other rounds. Um, and, and, and it's phenomenal. The other thing that I love about it is it's such a tool that you can teach and then the client can take it outside of the office and use it like immediately. And I love that. I love that it gives people access right away. Yes. Yes. And, and it's, it's it, it is portable in that way. It's, it's a self-help technique as well as a clin clinical tool. And also what you were talking about, the metaphor, as you know, that's used in, in energy psychology or EFT or TFT is peeling the layers of the onion. Yes. Where as you reduce the distress about a issue that's more on the surface, something that's deeper will emerge, as we saw in the woman with the 
fear of enclosed spaces. She, she didn't have access to the memory with her brothers until some of the distress around being in an elevator had been capped down, but then there it was. And then, so, so rather than having to be brilliant in, in assessing what the client needs to work on, the client will continually be showing you what the next step is, which is, is uh, really helps keep the therapist in close attunement with the client. Yeah. And I've also, um, you know, once I've taught my clients um, the energy psychology techniques, it's almost like, you know, I, I may not see them for a while, but then they'll come in and say, okay, I have something new that I want to tap on. It's like they, they understand the connection of like what's going on with them emotionally and how tapping can help. And they're like, okay, I have another thing that I think tapping can help on. And we go through a couple of rounds and, you know, they leave feeling really good. I think one of my um, success stories too, that really shocked me and surprised me when I first started using it one of my first clients was a young, uh, I think she was about 10 years old at the time. And she had a fear of lightning because the day that her father had passed away, there was a huge lightning and thunderstorm. So she associated thunderstorms and lightning with the passing of her dad. And anytime the, um, the storm started to come or she would experience a lightning storm, um, she would go into panic and her post-traumatic stress would um, come out and she really would miss days of school and couldn't sleep and it was pretty horrific for this young girl. And so we did a couple of tapping sessions on it, but the challenge was I can't predict the weather or lightning (laughs) or thunderstorms. So we kind of had to wait it out a little bit to see, you know, what what was going to happen when the next storm came. And her symptoms decreased and then she came in and we did a couple of more um, tapping and then we waited again for another storm and it was amazing of how this little girl healed and then you know we did further work on the grief and the the grief of her father but just uh getting through that trauma and that fear of uh thunder and lightning storms it was it was miraculous and that's when i was like whoa this is this stuff really works i can't believe it um then i've had some other stories like that yeah yeah Yeah. those associations that people make between when there is an early life event and some cue that had to do with an early trauma that triggers that trauma, uh, and you mentioned PTSD, this is perhaps the mo- well, it is the most effective technique I've ever witnessed in my 47 years now as a clinical psychologist for treating PTSD. It is able to zero in on the relevant issues without re-traumatizing the person, which yes. is a problem in many PTSD treatments. And it is quick. It's it's not it's not a one session cure like uh, like we saw with the woman with the um, fear of enclosed spaces, but it is certainly um, a, um, a you know a, a very powerful route to making change in people that have maybe been carrying PTSD for 30 or 40 years in their lives to reverse that. And it's such a gift to people. They're so grateful. It just changes their lives.
Yeah, it really does. And I know on your website, too, you have um, a demonstration about how EFT can also work with veterans. And I've had some personal experience in my career, too, in working with combat vets and, uh, you know, some of their horrific memories that they've brought home, um, specifically when they were in combat. And they were just they couldn't amaze be more amazed about how their sleep was better their flashbacks were you know they, they weren't coming their their trauma really of some things that they experienced or were in positions of things to have to do just completely um I don't want to say like completely went away because like you said it's not that the memory isn't necessarily still there but it wasn't as repetitive they didn't have the visceral emotions connected to it um you know when they thought about it so do you want to talk at all at um, just a little bit more before we start to wrap up a little bit about um, maybe working with veterans or uh, just the PTSD part of it? Right. Well, the with veterans, with anyone with PTSD, the key symptom is how intrusive it is that it comes in in flashbacks. They'll be living their life and something will trigger a whole memory and it will come as a flashback that might be very vivid or it might not be vivid at all. It might be totally the emotional dimension of it so that they don't have any understanding of why they went into extreme fear or extreme anger or extreme aggressiveness. Uh, and it often comes in nightmares so that some of these many veterans have are sleep deprived and with that sleep deprivation it's very hard to function in a job in a relationship so the the whole constellation of always being on alert always knowing you can you may be about to be triggered in ways that people other people won't understand is a, a, a very difficult way to live one's life and to be able to very quickly step into the um you know, the symptoms and in the space of a session feel one major symptom neutralized is so empowering and so encouraging for the veterans and their families because the families are also, um, you know, suffering with along with their loved one because they don't have a way to help. They don't, they just, they just see the suffering and there's no, no, you know, and, and some, um, you know, families are very loving about it. Some families are very uh, judgmental about it. Um, often, families break up because of it. So it's 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 a it's a lar it's larger than just the suffering of the one person, but it also reverberates out to the family and out to society in their difficulty. You know, really talented, strong, smart people not being able to contribute to society with the the kind of work that they could have done if they did not have the PTSD and that they can begin to do after they overcome the PTSD. You don't usually use the word cure, but you do have people who no longer are triggered, who no longer have the symptomology of PTSD. So it's, it's um, you know, they, they will still, the memories will still be terrible, but the memories won't be intruding. The memories won't be uh, interfering with their lives. The memories won't be causing large emotional upsets. So it's it's a it's a it's a real make, makeover of, of the um, of, of the person's neurology. 
Yeah. And, you know, with you being in the field for um, quite a while now, have you seen energy psychology uh, expand in other areas? Are there new findings or is it just that we are now able to prove a little bit more with science and the technology that it works? Or are you seeing anything else um, really happening in energy psychology? Well, that's a really big question because (laughs) there's two opposing forces right now. on the one hand, the field is really expanding very rapidly. Uh, we have, you know, half a million people participate every year in the Tapping World Summit that Nick Ortner and uh, runs, um, and so you have this, you know, and and you and you you see it moving into all kinds of areas besides psychotherapy. You see it moving into professional sports. You see it moving into all performance areas. You see it moving into business, where uh, businesses are teaching people to be uh, more uh, confident in their jobs and and more effective in their jobs and to remove the blocks to that effectiveness. So it's, it's expanding very rapidly in many ways. Interestingly, the place where it is maybe meeting the most resistance is in the psychotherapy establishment. Uh, and, and partially for the same reasons I was so skeptical, skeptical about it at first, that it looks ridiculous and it also had a very poor entry into psychotherapy. It was, there were these, um, you know, true claims, but enormous claims that were being made before there was any research. When, when I first learned about it in 2001, 2002, there wasn't a single peer-reviewed clinical trial of energy psychology. And so I was really taking a risk by identifying with it and, and using it. But because psychologists are supposed to use things that have been demonstrated as effective. Now, you know, 15 years later, there are more than 120 clinical trials that demonstrate the effectiveness of the method. There are um, five meta-analyses, which are statistical treatments of groups of studies that look to see if the conclusions drawn by the individual studies are valid. And we're seeing that energy psychology has a very strong effect on anxiety, on depression, and on PTSD, the three areas that have really been examined the most. So we, we but nonetheless, the field is, uh, is, is not been embracing it at nearly the speed that I think it ought to. I, I, you know, because therapists don't have to totally retool their, their approach. It, it blends very nicely with, with whatever their approach is. You, you, you still do all, you still use all the tools that you have, but now they're quicker. Now they're more effective. Now you have ways to very rapidly rewire what's going on in the brain with very precise, targeted methods. So, um, so I hope that therapy it is it is by the way gaining more traction within psychotherapy, but it's just been you know slower than what I would like to see institutions such as. Um, you know, the military, the Veterans Administration um, are, are it's, it's kind of popping up in little pockets, but the, the higher-ups are not saying, use this technique, learn this technique. 
which which I think they should. Meanwhile, institutions like Kaiser, um, Kaiser just um, in their journal had a, uh, a, a major article that um, Dawson Church, myself and a few others wrote on P on guidelines for using energy psychology with PTSD. So it's it's showing up, but but slowly yet it is also expanding in the larger culture quite rapidly. Yes. Well, thank you. I, I'm, I was curious to know about your opinion on that. Um, so where can people find information about you and the work that you're doing? What do you have going on recently? Um, are you still teaching? Are you just doing more researching? But what's what's going on for you in what you're doing with the work today? Thank you. People can find out a lot about my work and about energy psychology um, on our website which is www.energypsyched.com. Energy, E-N-E-R-G-Y, P-S-Y-G-H-E-D, like for education, ed.com, energypsych.com. And there they can see the two videos that um, are posted where they, the one you mentioned uh, with veterans, which is very impressive, it's only 10 minutes, and it really gives you an idea of how powerfully this uh, method affected four veterans in a very short period of time. And then another one with a high phobia that gives you an idea of what the technique looks like. There are probably a dozen free academic papers that are available from the site. And then it also leads you to resources that I think are, are very useful. A book, The Promise of Energy Psychology, that my wife Donna Eden and I wrote with Gary Craig, the founder of Emotional Freedom Techniques. Uh, there's a introductory video that that's of a kind of is from a workshop, an introductory workshop. So it gives you a a, a real introduction to the method with some tools and then there's more advanced uh, DVDs and more advanced books so so that's that's one place to start there I, I teach um, in, in a couple of weeks I'm not sure when this is being broadcast but a couple of weeks from right now I'll be teaching a five-day introductory course at Omega Institute in upstate New York I, I do um, a few of those each year. I'm, I'm moving more into teaching people the use of language with energy psychology because the, um, the as when people learn it, they, they find they can master the basic procedure, the basic protocol quite easily. But then to know what are the words to use, what, what do you tell the client to say while they're tapping, that takes a lot more finesse. So I've been uh, I've, I've just published a paper on that topic called Words to Tap By, and I am um, teaching a number of post classes at, um, at energy psychology conferences, one that's coming up in Vancouver um, in middle October. And so those are, those are some of the cutting edge ideas for me, as well as continuing to get the research out there. There's, there's now enough research with 120 clinical trials that the scientific community just needs to know about it and begin to examine it and, and see how solid it is. 
So those those are some of the things. But but a good start is energypsyched.com, and also there are tons and tons of other um, things that people can find on the on, on the internet just by googling. Um, either energy psychology or emotional freedom techniques or thought field therapy. Any of those are going to give you, I mean, probably hundreds of thousands of hits. There's, there's so much that is, um, is, is being, um, it's, it's just a rapidly expanding area. So there's a lot, a lot there. If people want to really learn the method um, on our website, on, on that, there, there's a, uh, we, I, I don't, have a certification program in energy psychology, but several other um, groups do, and they have some really excellent ones. So if on our website, there's a, a link to resources, and under the resources link, uh, we list some of the major organizations, such as the Association for Comprehensive Energy Psychology, um, the, um, <clears throat> the, 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 there's a group in UK, there's um, Dawson Church's group, um, um, EFTUniverse.com. So, so those are all really good sources for um, if, if somebody wants to really learn this in depth to go through a certification program in it. Wonderful. Thank you so much for all that information. And I really do think that you're on to something about the language piece of it. Um, just as a side note before we wrap up, because I have had clients after they've learned tapping, they might go onto YouTube and find something and uh, try to use it in tap. And then they will come in for an individual session. They'll say, I'm just not getting some of the same results. And what I have found is that as the clinician listening to your client's words and being able to say them back or hearing maybe Maybe what they mean but aren't saying um, seems to really be where it's at, where the transformation starts to happen in, in some of my tapping sessions. It's almost like I hit on the right word or um, for me, there's also a very spiritual component because it does feel like as the practitioner, as you're doing it with the client, you're in a bit of a trance. And sometimes I feel like I am given words on a very spiritual level that I wouldn't even have thought of or come up with or even have put this word or this phrase together, but I just felt compelled to say it back to the client. And I 100% I'm very excited to hear more about this research that you're doing with the language connected to it, because I do think that that is really key, as well as the tapping, but there is something about specific words that are used that facilitate the healing of this process. Very true. And many people do have that experience of an a deeper connection with something, with their intuition, with spirit, as they as they get into this work. Um, April, I'd be happy to send you a link to that paper that you could um, send to your audience if you wish. Yes, I would love that. Thank you. And maybe we'll have you back on at another date to maybe even talk more specifically about that. But I just want to thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it was wonderful to speak with you personally. And it makes me feel great to get this information out to the audience. And hopefully we're touching more people who have never even heard about this or even knew that this was a potential thing that they could try to help heal their lives. So, David, thank you so much for being a guest on the Path 11 podcast. Yeah, April, it was my pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis at that donation level, but I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four-day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out-of-body experiences and life-changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends that was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon. Become a Patreon today and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people uh, to name all that were amazing. These workshops are just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today. 